Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Omarvin. I'm joined, as always, by Grant Little. And this time, it'll be a slightly happier podcast because Real Madrid Feminino have finally won again. After four losses, one draw in five league matches, we have won a game. Albeit not in the league, it's in the Champions League, which just feels like classic Real Madrid, right? Our only two victories are in the Champions League. And then the other Champions League match we played is a draw, of course, two of those games versus Manchester City. But in our debut in the Champions League against Kharkiv, I think I'm I'm pronouncing that at least semi-correctly, we managed a 1-0 victory. And... I think it's fair to say we're the better team, but I don't know if that means that this was just an uncomplicated performance, especially that first 30 minutes or so. But Grant, it's good to to say that we won, right? I was beginning to forget what that felt like, and I think the players were as well. Yeah, it has been a minute. <laughs> I needed a win today. I know the players needed a win today because I'm not even involved, and I felt like I needed a win today. and. Like you said, there were moments that were not pretty at time. There was at the end of the game, I think we closed out with like six or seven nominal defenders, like actual defenders on, on the field playing in, you know, the nine and in midfield and in defense. But we got the three points. It was huge for confidence. I think it's huge for our hopes to get out of this group. And I'm hoping that it is huge in the aspect that we can maybe build off this and start to turn our league form around. And I think that's the main thing, because we talked all last podcast about what's gone wrong for Real Madrid, how much is Osnar responsible. We don't need to rehash all that, but a huge part of it is like this team, and we could see it in the first 30 minutes, is just playing with absolutely zero confidence whatsoever. Like they forgot that some of these players on the pitch are some of the best players in the world. And it's just like that just went out the window and we're like just unable to do basic things on a football pitch, basically, which is we talked about like the snowball effect that it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And it's like we just needed a break somewhere to just remind ourselves like, oh, we can win a football match again. This is what it's like to play somewhat well and get a result. And it appears that this game is the one now there's there's a long way to go right we got to build ourselves back up now actually go in and, and put in a good performance a bar is our next game right and that's not going to be an easy one a bar is never easy and we certainly have to do a lot better than we did in this game but hopefully this is like a stepping stone and um i think it's somewhat mixed feelings for real madrid fans uh, or a lot of real madrid fans at least because yeah i mean we want to win we want to get back into it but I think this probably saves Osnar's job or at least keeps him in it for a little while longer because we talked about last podcast. The, the, the info coming out was he was gone, but it seemed like something changed. And, you know, the club was like, okay, we're going to, we're willing to give you a couple more games for whatever reason. And um, I mean, he's won this one. And I mean, this was the most winnable fixture on the schedule, really. I mean, maybe you could say Granadilla, but like this is like this is the one in the Champions League, our group stage that we look at this and, and say, oh, this is the one we should win, especially looking at how Breda Blick kind of gave PSP some trouble. And so, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess it's a wonder what your priorities are in the long-term. Do you care long-term, short-term? If this makes Osner State, do you care? 
I, I just, I don't, I never know how those things will be affected. So I was just like, no matter what, let's just win. Right. Like I always prefer to win the next game. And because you, from a decision-making perspective, you should be, you should be making decisions from a process. Perspective. But we've talked about that. Grant, regardless of all of that, we come into this one with a pretty interesting lineup. Of course, it's David Osnar. So why not? It's, a back three people were, you know, trying to figure out what it was. And uh, pretty clearly, in, initially in the game, it was Bobby Peter, Rocio Gavez, Ivana Andres in central defense, which is what I expected. What I did not expect was Claudio Florentino's positioning. So she was in midfield with Zornoza, Lorena Navarro. What I thought it was going to be, okay, Claudio Zornoza, Claudio Florentino double pivot, right? Because that's how we've seen Florentino deployed in midfield in the past. And Lorena Navarro plays the number 10, which is arguably her best position. And then everything else was, was how I'd expect. Olga Carmona as a left wing back, Lucio Rodriguez as a right wing back, and then Naitari Garcia and Athena Del Castillo up top. But Claudia Florentino was playing as like this right-sided advanced central midfielder. I mean, it, it became super fluid over time and people were rotating all over, but it's clear that was Claudia Florentino's nominal position. Zornoza was the pivot, and then Lorena Navarro is playing off the left. What do you think about this lineup in general? Did you like it? And then specifically about where Claudio Florentino was positioned? Yeah, I mean, we always come to expect something wonky when it comes to Osnar's lineups. But in fairness to him, he was a bit, you know, out of his depth because all of a sudden, you know, we get the, the lineup, we get the squad list, and Mike DeArose is not on it. She is not starting. She is not on the bench. Everyone is like, where the hell is Maite? And eventually, you know, the, the Real Madrid of Comunicado Oficial, that is Arancha Rodriguez, tells us that she picked up an injury in training and isn't going to be there. So that adds like a pinch of salt to whatever weirdness Osnar is throwing out on the pitch. And without Maite... You know, I don't know if I would have put money on this lineup, but I think that a back three is a viable option with the personnel we had and just the complete lack of midfielders and wanting to get as many offensively impactful players on the pitch at once. So I thought it was interesting. Claudia Florentino's position was extremely interesting. You know, we, we've heard of her as this defensive midfielder. And when you see her in that, you think double pivot or out and out six. None of those are the case. And I mean, it is an absolute miracle that she somehow did not get a yellow card in this match. She was like clotheslining people, kicking the ball away from people. But it worked. I guess it was an interesting performance, like you said. The movement of the midfield and the rotation was a bit strange. It had effects going up to the forward line as well, because we know that we want Athenea in, in the lineup. But because of this formation, we end up having her as a striker, which I think she is a lot less involved in that formation or in that position. And we kind of lose a bit from her. But we also have gotten a lot of attacking talent on the field all at once while kind of piecing together a midfield because our midfield is just completely destroyed with injuries. 
Yeah, so I guess without Maite Rose, you could roll out the Claudio Zornoza, Claudio Florentino double pivot, right? Just play a back four and then, you know, figure out what you're going to do in attack like we've been doing these past few games. But I understand where Ozan is coming from here. I don't know in our debut Champions League match where we, our confidence is like <laughs> below the floor. We're playing like shit, like whether I trust a Zornoza Florentino double pivot, especially because Zornoza has not been playing well at all. And that puts extra pressure on Florentino. I know she's played in that position before, but I think there's a reason she's a center back and not a central midfielder. And I understand why he didn't want to roll out with that. I think the back three is kind of a good stopgap solution in the moment because it, it puts another player at the back to build out. And uh, gives you the overload, right? Kharkiv um, were defending a lot in like a, a very compact 4-4-2. So we always had the three versus two overload and build up. And so I understand what he was doing there. And I'm honestly fine with it for this game. What didn't make any sense was Florentino's positioning. And um, I understand if you don't want to play her as the lone six, because you don't trust her to really carry build up from the back. But man, a double pivot, I think, has to be the thing you do. And I could kind of see, like, structurally what the point was because you had Florentino and, and Lorena, especially in the beginning, like, pushing all the way up with Naikari Garcia and Ataneda Castillo. So you had, like, four players, you know, like, roaming between the lines against the back four, just collapsing Kharkiv's lines centrally, kind of similar to what we're doing with the 4-4-2 diamond, except, like... um it's just like kind of two players in each half space and structurally like it makes sense. And we have like these attacking, you know, wing backs who can receive in space and et cetera, et cetera. The problem is, is you can only achieve these things if you actually have the players who fit those roles. And I understood the idea, but Claudio Fornino cannot execute in that position, right? We can argue about, Oh, is she, how, how well does she do as a six, as a, as a, in a double pivot, as an attacking interior, it was complete chaos. She was trying her best. I'm not putting this on her, but she did not know where she was moving. She was running all over the place. She was making runs to the channel. She was offering herself when, she, when it didn't make sense. She was carrying the ball into areas that she shouldn't have carried them into. She carried for too long. Her passes were off because she's not used to having to play these like quick, rapid-fire, connective tissue passes in tight areas and advanced positions. Like, Basically, it looked exactly like a person who really has never played in this type of position before and doesn't understand the movements and how to adjust their game to that situation. It really wasn't a surprise at all to me. And I, it, it didn't work. You know, Florentino had a really rough time defensively. She was all over the place as well, as you mentioned, Greg, because she's not used to defending from these types of positions at all. So she had to do a lot of pressing work and it was just a lot of fouls and lucky to get away without a yellow card. So, it, I mean, it was, it was not good. And um, I think it ended up kind of like hurting us in terms of like, especially the first half I was noticing Kharkiv were doing a good job of, yeah, I mean, they were congesting the center, right? In reaction to all, all of our central occupation. So then we'd play it wide where there was space, but then the wide players, the wingers would do a really good job of doubling up with the fullbacks to create a two versus one versus Olga and Lucia, Olga especially, because we were going through Olga more. And 
our support out wide, like to, to like create a two versus two or a three versus two out wide wasn't that great. Lorena would come over and, you know, we'll talk about her performance because she was the player of the match. I don't think that's very controversial. Um, she would, she helped out Olga decently, but like there, it's clear that there wasn't a defined structure to deal with that and really like play, like help play combos down the wing or help relieve the wing back to be able to play inside. I mean, it's, it's, that's expected, right? I mean, it's not like we've ever had a especially well-defined structure to deal with a lot of problems that the opposition throw at us. But on the right-hand side, it was just all Lucia by herself because Claudia Florentino had no idea how she was going to offer herself against, you know, to, to negate that two versus one. Kharkiv were creating defensively. And, like, there was a lot of Lucia, like, dribbling into three players. And some of it was impressive. A lot of the times losing the ball. Overall, I think, a good performance given the circumstances but there were a lot of like she lost a lot of duels because she was outnumbered a lot of the time and she just she didn't really have any other option but to dribble into traffic maybe in some cases she could have recycled and she and she went a bit too far but she was in an unideal situation so it was an interesting case of like oh the initial structure is good but from the base structure we're not doing enough to to make this formation like work especially in the beginning which again is if that's not really a surprise to me. So I didn't expect to get into Florentino and all the nuances of it that quickly, but might as well get it out of the way because it was the most intriguing or <laughs> intriguing. I don't know if that's the way to put it, but it was the weirdest part of the lineup. What did you think about the first? It was really like 26 minutes or so, but let's just say half hour. What did you think of that? It was pretty rough to watch, right? Yeah. I mean, it seemed like Kharkiv kind of wanted to sit back, absorb pressure, and then go in transition. But then also there were moments where they would kind of try and press a little bit when we were building out. And we just kind of had no idea what to do with it. There was a lot of passing in between the three center backs, going to the wing backs, coming back to the center backs, going to Zornoza, who drops deep. What do you do? Then you just basically pump it to Olga down the flank. And Olga pumps crosses into the box if she doesn't lose the ball. Um, it was not surprising considering the formation and considering how we've been playing. We've always been super wing reliant. And without kind of a true winger, you know, on, on the left side, we have Olga, who's actually an attacking player playing wing back. And then on the right side, you have Lucia, who's actually a defender playing wing back. And so you end up, kind of having this tilt where Olga's getting a lot more forward and the right side is a little hampered because you don't have a true attacker up there. And then this just becomes a very left-wing reliant offense. And when you're that predictable, it becomes easier to defend. So there's definitely that. There was an asymmetry there, obviously. Like, there's Lorena offering herself to the left versus Claudia Florentino offering herself to the right, which exacerbates that. But we just weren't doing basic things, right? Like when I watched that team across like that time span, it just looked like a team that had like no belief in themselves. And I really like, I don't like to say this stuff. I've said it before, but it was just so patently obvious. We're talking about, really high-class footballers, even with all the injuries. I mean, Claudia Zornoza was giving the ball away. Like, she was, she was like, getting rewarded for it or something. Like, it just, 
Ivana Andres, like the most reliable passer out of the back we've had at in, in our short Real Madrid history was just, I don't know what she was doing. Like it, every single vertical pass was just completely off, not hit with conviction, being intercepted. It was bizarre. And we were, it was horrendous. Like it was a truly awful start to the game. And I was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, even though I knew we were going to come into this shaky as fuck, given what happened like the last few games. Like we just did not settle in at all. And over that period, I think like the shot count for in the aggregate was like four, four, both teams and Harky were actually looking better than us in that moment. I was like, seriously thinking like, if this continues, we could lose this game. That's how badly we're playing. We, we literally are not doing anything correctly. Every single ball being misplaced, you know, no dribble coming off, zero synergy, not able to string a single sequence together. And I think that is emblematic of a team that just was rock bottom, like had no clue when they were going to get out of this, really unsure of their own quality anymore. And I was just praying, like, let us, you know, somehow defend Kharkiv, keep things kind of even on the scoreline, and then surely we have to work our way back into it. Surely we remember, oh, I'm Claudio Zornoz, I'm Atenelo Castillo, I'm Naitari Garcia, I'm Ivana Andres, and we'll be able to start putting basic passes together. And that did come, thankfully. It took an incredibly long time. I mean, think about like versus Manchester City, we were unsettled for a shorter period of time than we were in this game, which is just a crazy, crazy thing to say. Because that that was our true Champions League debut. That was against a much better opponent. We were the underdogs. We came in as the favorites, right, against a team that is not nearly as good, even though I think they played well. I think that just tells you where we were at the moment. And we just needed anything to get out of this rut, right? Like think, if we did not get this win today, I don't know what the team's mentality would be like. I think all of that also contributes to the nerves. You know, there's a lot less nerves when you're the underdog, I think. It's easier to be like, we're just going to go out and play our hardest. When you're a favorite, you're playing poorly. This is your official, quote-unquote, Champions League group stage debut. All of these things, plus you talk about the form, the moment, you're freezing in Ukraine. Like, I think there were a lot of things that all compiled to, like, we were already down in the dumps in our confidence, and then there were so many other things on top of it that just added and added and added to the nerves. And I'm sure we'll talk about this once we finally find that breakthrough. It looks like a completely different team to end the half. We were playing with energy. People were confident taking people on. And it looked like a team that, you know, at least, even though the structure wasn't there, it looked like they knew how to play and had confidence that they could play. And, and I, I just did... think we were in this, like, huge cluster of self-doubt, nerves, and everything that was going on just, like, piled on. I think that's an interesting point about the whole favorites and stuff. And I think this is something we forget as Real Madrid fans, we're so used to the men's team. Like they've been in this position for such a long time. This idea of being favorites is normal, right? Like that's the case. 99% of games they go into. And we've seen like snowball effects like this, but I don't think I've seen ever the men's team like enter this level of doubt, right? Like there's always a sense that no matter what we're coming back, you see better performances here and there, even if we still don't get the result. We have to remember this is a team that's still building its history that doesn't yet 
really understand how to handle the expectation that comes with with being a Real Madrid team. And this is the first time we've gone through a crisis since we got the official badge. And since we've been expected to qualify for the Champions League. And it's clear that this was a massive shock to the system. People didn't understand how to handle it. Players who would have weren't there, like Marta Cardona, for example, Asani barely there, Maite Rose, came back for a little bit, injured again, right? And I think you could tell that this team, you know, it, they have growth to do, right? This is part of the growing process. Like, how do you get through a period like this? And we got through it extremely poorly, but hopefully we take some lessons from this because, you know, no matter what, some point, you know, down, down in the future, we're going to have a rough patch similar to this again. And we're going to have to respond much better because we can't do this as Real Madrid. But again, like we're, we're watching the beginning of the history of this club and they're figuring out how to do it. And in retrospect, I'm not that surprised that they handled it really badly in the beginning. And I, I just think like this was, this was the kind of match we needed where we could go 26 minutes playing like other shit and finally just figure out, okay, nil-nil, wow, we put two passes together, watch what happens, three passes together, four passes together, and it never really got to, oh my god, this is an awe-inspiring performance, but as you said, Grant, like, by 30, 35th minute, like, we were, we were consistently in Arkiv's defensive third, we are putting balls in the box, we were creating chances, and all of a sudden, it felt like, man, this is at least something close to the Real Madrid I remember that can go into a game where I feel like, oh man, we're going to win this. So how do we want to go from here? Do we want to go into Lorena's performance? Because she does end up scoring in the 33rd minute and like that almost kind of pounds this comeback effect, right? And after that, it's like, oh, it's just the rest of the first half is is dominant. Yeah, can can I go into just... A little before we zone in just on Lorena, I want to talk about the combination of Olga Lorena and Nahikari because Go ahead. we started to see these three understanding each other's movements, linking up a bit better, and our chances start to come from these three players. In the 29th minute, Olga has this insane effort to recover possession after she lost it, sliding down, drops it to Lorena at the top of the 18. Plays it to Claudia Zornoza, who plays this little flicked ball into Nahikari Garcia in the box. And she has this kind of acrobatic shot that she does pretty well to hit just over the bar. And that's like the first real chance of the game where we saw a little combination. And then, boom, you have a chance. Then, just a little bit after that, in the 32nd minute, you have Olga driving toward a player, taking her on. Then she drop, She goes to Naikari Garcia. Naikari gets it back to goal, kind of on the side of goal. She drops it to Lorena in the box. Lorena mishits it badly over the bar. But you start to see that down this left flank, if you have this interchange, if you have this link up, like there, there's opportunity and you have the players that are good enough to do this. And then what do you know? We have by far our best moment of the game from that moment until we score the goal where you see a lot of sustained possession, moving the ball from a flank, going to the center, all of these things that eventually end up in the goal. And just just on this, you start with a throw-in at 33rd minute, just at the start of it, so like 32-02 or something. Olga throws it in, measured possession down the left, to the middle, back to the left, 
to the middle. Jornoza has it in the middle. She goes to Ivana. Ivana takes her space, goes wide to Lucia down the flank. And then you see Athenea, Naikari Garcia, and Lorena all making a run into the box when Lucia puts it into the box. And both Real Madrid players get to this cross. Naikari Garcia and Lorena kind of meet and knock this ball down. And it takes a kind of lucky deflection, and Lorena eventually scores the goal. But you see, like, these three players, especially in Olga, in Naikari Garcia, and Lorena, their movement, their understanding, and their ability to link up with one another started creating chances, started creating confidence, and eventually lead to this goal. So very well described, Grant, and leading up to all of that, I won't try to rehash everything you said, just honing in on Lorena's performance. It's kind of like everything we've talked about in the past, right? Like just being such an off, intelligent off-ball player who reacts to every, everyone around her to always find the optimum solution. She's an overload in all areas of the pitch, and it's really remarkable that she can basically play in any single position in, in possession, including a pivot almost because we talked about the wild midfield rotation. There were tons of times, especially in the second half, where she drops off and receives there because Zornoza has gone forward. Florentino's off doing her own thing. And, and, and Lorena has to drop off and offer to the center backs. And obviously that wasn't her main thing. She was roaming all over the place a lot in the left half space. But like, she's just, I've been so impressed. Like even when we're playing like shit, I felt like Lorena was the only player today who had some level of maturity and sense of purpose in what she was doing. Her touches were so crisp enough. I'm not saying she was perfect, but she was doing the right things, trying to get us in the right areas where everyone else panicked and were like headless chickens. And I know we praise her a lot, but she's 20 years old. It's not normal for a 20 year old when Ramadur Feminino is having the biggest crisis they've had so far in their short history for such a young player to be the singular person who's kind of like stepping above all of that, remaining calm and trying to guide the team forward. There, there were still veterans on the pitch. There was Ivana Andres. There was Babit Peter. There was Claudia Zornoza. There was Naikari Garcia. Like, and then there were, there are bigger names, right? Players you wouldn't say veteran, but like you say, Ateneda, Castillo, Olga, Carmona, like players we consider young rising stars. And Lorena is the one who rose above and stood out. Like she's built different is what I want to say about her. There's all the footballing skills, and we've talked about it so many times, but she showed something today that really impressed me, that, like, it, she wasn't faced, and she was going to get that win for Real Madrid. And it's like, she's such a valuable player to have in a, in a big team context. I just, she just keeps going up and up in, you know, my, my favorite player rankings. Like, what a remarkable player we have. And it's not just this game, right? Like, right. That's what I was going to say. She's been doing it since she got minutes this season. And it, they haven't all been like absolute 10 out of 10 performing, but she's been our best player every single time. Like it's, it's wild. It's, it really is wild. Cause even with all the injuries, she's not the best player on paper yet. She's the one who's managed to, to, to rise above, you know, all that pressure, all that doubt. And, just be the best player. I mean, you agree, right? She's the best player today. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so she was the best player. She got the goal and she essentially won us the game. Like she could have had two. Hell. She's a, she's a 20 year old. Like what the hell? Like Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say about that, but 
yeah, she had a hell of a game. I think she won three out of four aerial duels, which was a statistic that was flying around. She had a good passing accuracy. The one time she like made a really bad pass, she went all the way back into the def- our defensive um, box and made it made a header to clear play. And I think that was the third header she won. The other two were in the opposite area. Obviously, um, I don't know if she got. Did she get her head on like the cross for the goal before like she eventually put it away? It was like collision between Naikari and her that it looked like kind of sandwiched the ball down like they both rose and it maybe hit a body part not quite sure well she clearly got another chance in the box that she kind of sent wide and I think if you ever wanted to make a case that positioning is, is is more important than everything else in the penalty box for 11 Lorena Navarro winning aerial duels and putting headers on goal is probably like the best case study you'll ever have. Not saying like this should be like our strategy, like we're trying to pass, but like we joke about it all the time. I mean, she's not actually bad at getting on to deliveries in the box because she knows how to position herself. She gets in between defenders. She creates a bit of separation. And when you do that, you don't necessarily need to be all that tall to get your head onto it because you've already created the separation. Now there's obviously limitations, right? Because the type of delivery has to be more specific. You can't just lock the mirror. So I'm not saying like, Oh man, you can be this dominant box monster box monster as this 411 player, but she has value in there. That's surprising. It just illustrates her overall intelligence, right? Like on the goal itself, she's making a really nice supporting run for Athenea and Naikari to create a three versus three against the defenders. Then, and then she like, latches onto the ball and puts it away like she's always looking to where how do I supplement my teammates how do I create you know numerical advantages or you know kind of equal situations for my teammates and I mean she's just a hell of a player I mean she's never going to be the superstar here her ceiling isn't that high but as long as she has her legs and she's fit and she's sharp I mean, she's always has a place in my team. Siempre en mi equipo, like, as, as the Spaniards like to say. So, fantastic performance from her. We really needed someone like her to step up and just grab this game by the scruff of the neck and win it for us. And, I mean, basically player of the season so far, just based on the context of, of when she's had to come in and, and how she's had to lift us. And, yeah, I'm just so excited to see how her, how her career, like, unfolds now because. She was a super under the radar player. We, I remember Grant, you and I last season, the very beginning talk, oh, Lorena had a nice cameo, right? She looked nice doing this. And then slowly we started to realize like towards the end of the season, like, wow, this is, this is like a really good player. And now she just did it on the biggest stage, right? Like our first official, official Champions League goal is Lorena Navarro. She goes down in history as the person. We all rate her, but would we have bet on her? We would have said Naikari Garcia. I thought before the season, like we said, Marta Cardona. We said Esther. It's Lorena Navarro. She's the one who goes down in history as the in the Champions League proper, our first goal scorer. Even Amazing. even if you weren't voting on Champions League proper, we haven't had the most, you know, put your money on them goal scorers in the Champions League between Zornosa, Kenti Robles, and Lorena Navarro. Lorena is probably the most likely out of those three. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Although... Claudia Zornoza definitely tries to get on the goal scoring sheet. Like, who I thought with Marta Cordero out of the lineup, we didn't have to deal with those long shots anymore. Like, no, Zornoza <laughs> took to like more. 
six of them. Like, I mean, she really just Dude, every time. Just- at one point, I tweeted off the account. I'm like, have as much faith in yourself as Zornosa had shooting from anywhere on the freaking pitch, man. She will just like, it's like, you know, you just expect her to recycle possession. And it's just a bomb from like 50 yards. Yeah, I know she has a good foot on her. She likes to take free kicks. I've seen her score a couple of bangers with Levante, but I mean, some of those shots have been cut out. One of them, like she just passed up a really good pass for a shot that was not on. Like, no, nah, I mean, it has to be cut down. Two or three of those per game, like she, she was just kind of just letting them loose. Well, like, and not to get off track here, but like in previous games when we've tried to have sustained spells of possession or there's a chance to recycle after like a cross comes back out and stuff i've been disappointed with the fact that she just unleashes one rather than keeping the pressure on like obviously there's a time for that we she scored a great goal in champions league in a moment like that but it needs to be the right times Donoza in general has been disappointing this season. I mean, most players have been disappointing, but I really do want more from her. I hope when if we can settle back into a rhythm, she can really take control of this midfield because who knows what Maite's help is like. I was worried. Oh, I, I, did we talk about it? Like I want the pot, like Maite being rushed back, man. Like yeah, I was worried about bit. that. And um, I don't know if this is the case, but I don't know how you just get re-injured in training again if you probably weren't rushed back. And I understand the, the desire to, but Donoza really has to step up here. Like, she has the experience. She's been in situations before. Like, I, I really want more from her because she's better than this. She's a better player. So, we kind of been all over the place. Let's just kind of go into the second half now. Wait, can I, can I say one more thing? Sorry. Yeah, before. go ahead. Go ahead. There, there was one big chance at the end of the first half for us. Naikari played a really nice slip ball through to Athenea who lets it run and takes it first time and she just puts it wide of the of the post that was a huge opportunity it was another big opportunity to capitalize on the momentum that we had going into that half and i mean if you get a second goal like the game's pretty much wrapped obviously we talked about she is a young attacker you're going to have these type of inconsistencies but i just thought it was important to highlight that chance yeah, I thought Athenea handled being a, a second striker actually quite well, you know, drifting off into the right areas, like getting one versus ones that she didn't always pull off, making like that one was a really good run in behind. It wasn't perfect, but she handled it a little better than I thought she would. So I was impressed, but I think on that shot, you could tell like she's feeling the pressure at the moment, right? Again, we talked about how she's like, feels like she needs to be the one to shoulder the responsibility. She really like messed up a shot last game. It was kind of a similar situation here. And you just see the frustration on herself. Like, just so, like, she almost, like, ripped the skin off her face. She was so mad. with like, whatever gloves she was wearing. Yeah, I love that look. The short <laughs> sleeves with the gloves. That's, that's a, that's a, a lethal finisher in the making. We just got to get That's the Sergio Aguero in, in winner in the Premier League look. I, I mean, I don't love the fact that she missed it, but I really love that she puts that pressure on herself. I think she needs to learn how to manage it better so it doesn't end up, you know, messing her up in these situations. But that's, I mean, she's, she's also right. 20 years old. That's and she's come in, in the right position with the right run, and it was a great pass from Nanikari Garcia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, that, was, that was a really good moment for the team. It didn't result in the goal, but these are the types of moments where you, continue to make these chances, continue to create these opportunities. 
you start to have more success. Yeah, and Atenea, like, I mean, she's she's got goals and assists in the past, like, n- not elite totals yet, but it's not like it was just it's foreign to her. Like, no, I think everyone is just pressing right now. Once right. we get yeah. once you get that first one, they'll start to come, and I think this win is a huge step in the right direction. And um, hopefully, when other senior players start to step up, like Atenea, like feels a little bit of pressure off, and she can go back to kind of like just playing her normal kind of flowing game. Because at the moment, right, a lot of it is like you know, it, it just happens in rhythm and it's very instinctive. And when she has to force the issue, it can get, it, it, it can, it can get a little bit iffy, right? I've been really critical of her past couple performances, but ultimately I, I really rate her attitude. And I mean, obviously we all expect big things from her in the future. So I was going to go to the second half, but since we, we talked about the sequence, Naikari Garcia, still unable to really get on the end of chances in the box. Um, there was she she I guess she did well on the goal and she had a couple like shots just kind of pelting it from distance. I think a free kick as well. I do think this was her best performance in terms of link up play. Too. This that was a good pass to to Athenea, but beyond that, like her as the game wore on, her her receptions back to goal. And this was a very physical, I mean, it was, an, it was a really physical game. We have to talk about that whole aspect of it. She, I mean, she was clean. She, she, she helped us like put things together in the final third. And this is the time. This is what I want to see. Okay, Naikari, you're not getting the goals. We understand that it's not coming, but you, you also have quality outside the box. You're not going to be super volumin- voluminous with all these actions, but you have a reputation as being someone who's efficient and clean and can get others involved and make things happen. And I think we saw that today really for kind of the first time on like a, a more consistent level. And that's, I, I, I like to see that. I, I want to see Naikari getting to some rhythm because when we talk about senior players stepping up, she needs to be one of them, like really sure. leading it back. And, and I thought the exact same thing. And if you like go back and watch in that 56th minute where we have our other really, really big chance of the game where we talked about that Lorena header, the way that Real Madrid enters into the final third is by Naikari dropping off receiving with back to goal. And I believe she was the one who played it wide to Lucia before Lucia swings in the cross to the head of Lorena. And that is just a moment right there with where if you're not looking at all the other off-ball stuff or the other hold-up play stuff maybe deeper in the half, that right there is how that turns into goals, that kind of link-up play. And that's what we need more of from her. Good performance from Naikari. We love to see it. We know that she's a super popular player. And uh, if she gets going, I mean, it just means huge things for us, right? Because, Absolutely. I mean, she, she's, she's an elite player. I mean, she hasn't been with it for a while, but dear God, if she finds a way to get going, like just the outlook for us looks so different, even without Aslani, even without Cardona, who no matter what, we can only be so good without her. So knock on wood, I want to continue, um, even if it's not immediate goals, get people involved, put things together, because without Aslani, right? And without Esther, you know, who's going to, you know, swallow all those duties, like we need someone like her to put all of it together because we want Athenea running against the last line, dribbling one versus one. We don't want her doing that stuff. And then, you know, with our central midfielders, right, like they, they need to be deeper. So we need someone, you know, kind of really balancing, occupying and then dropping off. And, and Nike has always been really good about knowing when to go, when not to. And we need her to start putting it all together like she did today. So, I mean, we've basically been going into the second half and, and talking about stuff there. I guess we can just talk about more things if we wanted to. 
I, I felt like the second half overall was fairly straightforward and that we just continued the pattern from the first, generally dominating the final third. Here and there, Kharkiv would counter. It would look a bit iffy. There were challenges, but we mostly dealt with it. The main thing I noticed was around like 65th minute or something like that. Kharkiv realized like we're just not getting back into this game. So they start to like press ball side, right? So like the two strikers would come on to two ball side center backs. And, you know, they would just press like that from a normal 4-4-2 structure, be really wing oriented. And I thought we really had some trouble with that. I, I thought Ivana still really, she was like the one player I felt like she just didn't get back onto her passing game. And because they were doing this on our right hand side a lot, which normally would be good for us because that's where Ivana is. Like, I think from like the 60, 60, 70th minute period, like they got a couple high regains, possession regains. They were able to trouble us, got some corner kicks. And so that caused some issues for us. But when we did break through, there were a lot of counterattacks and um, we were a bit wasteful with them, but there were some like that were really dangerous. There was one where Zornoza, I thought she was going to play it wide. I thought she should have played it wide, but then when she made the pass, I was like, okay, I mean, that's why you're a professional footballer and I'm not because she saw the through ball to Athenea and I thought she was in and then credit to the defender who made a really, really good tackle. Yeah. And uh, that probably would have been 2-0. That was their captain, right? Uh, Potashenko. She had a heck of a game. She made a few last-ditch challenges in the box. Last-ditch ta- challenge when they're, like it was challenge or 1v1 on goal. She had, she had a really, really good game and she impressed me for Harkey. I don't know if I have too much more to say about the second half in terms of like general thematic events, because um, I think that kind of like covers what happened. I mean, it, it kind of like slowed down towards the, the end of it. We controlled the game a little more. We were able to see the entire thing out. The one thing we barely touched on yet was like the insane physicality in this match. I don't know what the, both sides were on. Well, and the like, ref just let it happen most of the time. <laughs> This goes back to the conversation we we've been having, right? Like, and we talked about how we need to be leaning on the refs and how if it's a systemic problem in Woso, right? I mean, they're not getting the training, they're not getting the support, and that's why the quality of refereeing is poor. But that doesn't mean we can't like just not talk about how the quality of refereeing was poor. I like, think it was really, at least consistent. It was consistent in like letting the players like try to kill each other. Yeah, it was just and like I, a hand wave. Play on. I was convinced someone was going to be injured. It, it kind of looked like Olga picked up something, even though she kind of continued playing until she was subbed off. Um, and yeah, we have to talk about this. We, we saw a player swing out at Ivana a little bit. Yeah, that was a red card offense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a red card offense. Like, well, there after was some... kind of like a high boot, and then she swung out at her as well. It was, it was a weird... But the, poorly yeah. managed game in terms of like the violence that was going on. I just, I mean, we, I mean, it was, it was kind of from both sides. Like, I mean, we kind of like kicked it off like in the opening minutes. Claudia like Florentino were, could have had like seven yellow card offenses. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, was, I do not understand how she <laughs> didn't get a yellow card. There's a moment where she kicks the ball away, then Muller comes on, does the exact same thing to a lesser extent, and Muller gets a yellow card. I'm just like, what did, did Claudia Florentino make like a deal with the devil beforehand? And she's like, I'm going to do whatever and not get a yellow card. It was wild. No hate he, towards her because like, take what you're given, I guess. But she, it was just like, I tweeted in like the fifth minute. She's a walking yellow card. 
and somehow she made it 94 minutes without getting a yellow card is utterly ridiculous. He's the upgraded Casemiro. Like once Casemiro gets on the yellow, he's he's safe, but she doesn't even need to go that far. So yeah, I mean it was I don't this it was a really poorly managed match where like literally like the first few minutes, like she should have realized, oh man, it's gonna be that type of game. I need to like I need to talk to players, I need to say next time it's the yellows, like set that like you can't. I mean, these were hard challenges, there were early stoppages, players looked like they were in real pain. Olga took some fucking punishment out there. Well, it looked Atenea like she got her th- arm patched, like it was bleeding after she got kicked. Atenea, I just, it was, it was ridiculous. Lorena took man. that like two footer in the second half. It was bad. Dude, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not saying we saw. And we were necess- part of it. Like we had bad challenges yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was going I don't want to make ways. it out to be like, it was all Harky yeah, that evil, was doing it. No, evil, we, yeah, yeah. it was 50-50-ish. Right, but, but that's what happens bad. when the referee allows the flow of the match to go like that. Like right. players play to that, and you know they're they're not scared of getting physical, right? Like, and they'll they'll like just they'll push the limit, right? And it was a tight game as well. It was a it was a combative game. Everything was congested in the center, and so it was coming from both sides. But it was just it was so poorly managed and. It didn't look like anyone came away with a serious injury, but I would not be surprised if, like, oh, guess what? A couple names are missing versus A-bar because guess what? It was a fucking UFC match in, in our Champions League opener. I think what sums up this entire thing is, yeah, no yellow card for Fakadio Fornino. Three yellow cards for us, yet somehow none for Harky. Like, it, Are you serious? Holy literally, holy. they didn't have a single yellow card. It's hilarious. I couldn't believe it when I saw it the first time. I think Marino was the one who posted on Twitter. I went to like Google, like that's they did absurd. Not They're not gonna. Yell. I just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And so, yeah, like I think that just sums it up. I don't think the ref was biased against us or anything because clearly she let Claudia Fuentes get away. It was just a really poorly managed match, and um, I think institutions need to take this seriously because. I mean, we've seen it in the past. Players are going to get hurt, man. Like, this is what happened to Aslani. We were lucky it didn't happen today. It's, it's a player safety issue. And um, it honestly pisses me off. I know we laugh about it, but, like, I was really worried that, like, I wasn't worried about the result anymore when I saw how we were playing in the second half. I was worried that someone was going to get hurt, and I don't think I'm, I was being dramatic about it. So there's that. I think the last thing to talk about is substitutes that we can, like, circle back to anything we feel like we missed. 75th minute, Kenti Robles comes on for Olga. Lucia goes to left back. I thought it was fine because Olga like got the shit kicked out of her. And I was like, all right, get her off. We're one nil up. Put Kenti on. I thought Kenti, you know, was good going for it. It was like it just as a, as a way to get Olga off the pitch was good because she was our primarily offensive outlet out wide. And um, they were just going to keep kicking the shit out of her. And uh, we need her. We can't afford her to go down. 84th minute, Caroline Muller-Hansen comes on for Ateneo Atenea which I was also fine with. And finally, Muller gets to come on in a, situ- in a non-horrendous situation where she doesn't have to, like, help us, you know, come back from, like, a 3-0 deficit or something ridiculous like that. And what did you think of her cameo? Because in the past, like, maybe last game we said we saw a couple things, but it's basically the consensus has been, like, we don't know what to say about her because we've seen nothing. I thought it was decent. What about this game? What about I this thought game? it was decent. Um, when she came on, she got on. She got involved immediately. 
She had some nice touches to retain possession, fighting with like multiple, like two to three players trying to get the ball off of her. A little shithousery with the kick away. Good game management. And then, you know, she got into a position where she had a really, really good opportunity. I don't think she handled it that well. In the 89th minute, Misa plays a long goal kick up. Lorena flicks it on to another substitute who came on in the 88th minute for Naikari Cordera. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Cordera flicks it on to Muller, who made a nice run in. Looks to be like it's going to be kind of a 1v1 with the keeper, and she just fires a really well-struck shot right at the hands of the goalkeeper from distance. Thought she could have taken a couple more touches to get closer, but, I mean, she knows her speed better than I do, and maybe she couldn't. Overall, I thought it, I thought it was bright, and I was happy that it was bright because she deserves to have that kind of moment, not just coming on in desperate need of a goal. I thought it was a good cameo. I mean, I saw people complaining. I'm not quite sure. I guess it was more from a general perspective, but I thought it was a good cameo. Like she came on, she had that shot, which I agree she could have taken more touches, but I think she just kind of felt like this is the moment to blast it first time. And she got a lot of power on it. Problem was the direction was straight at keeper. Her dribbling was good. Like in that type of game where she was able to carry into open space, like I think we started to actually see some of the qualities we bought her for, which is she's a good ball carrier not a bad dribbler. You put that together in space, she can cause problems. She knows how to play out wide and in like the forward line. I like, honestly, like for what little I know, I think like playing her in a two up top, like it's actually not the worst idea in the world. And so like, it was, I I thought it was, it was good. Like it was bright. I feel like for the first time we actually saw, oh, so this is, this is Caroline Mullerhand. This is like a little bit of what she can give us. I was happy with it. 88th minute, you said we'll get to this, and so we will. <laughs> Martha Corridor comes on for Naikari Garcia, and oh, let's I was, be honest. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> we knew she was going to play striker, right? Like, I just knew it was going to happen. Dude, you but did- also just the ridiculousness of you have a completely back five of all defenders without Olga. You have Claudia Florentino, who played defensive midfielder, whatever. She's a center back in midfield, and now you have Corridera as a nine. You have seven defenders natural defenders on the field at one time i was like osnar what in the world is happening he's a different breed man i don't even know what to say about that. have you we've, ever we've, seen seven defend like that's like some Mourinho level stuff right there i don't seven think defenders s- on a pitch yeah but one wasn't even fucking defending like <laughs> well two one was playing midfield not even defensive <laughs> midfielder and the other is like you know what we need a defender at the nine. I've seen fullbacks being used as box runners, like Denzel Dumfries in the Euros and just in general. Like he, he makes really good late runs in the box, but to use them as an actual center forward, <laughs> which is what Mark. And she almost and has an assist. And she almost like, I felt like, dude, I, I'm on like 15 minutes of sleep. Like, and I genuinely thought, like, am I, like, having delusions right now from, like, It's like your nightmares haunting you. Like, what is going on? Like, it was just a bizarre, surreal, and we joked about this last season. We were like, core, the wins, core, they're going to play as a striker. People kept saying, you know, the Champions League. We had to save it for the biggest moment. And then she (laughs) actually comes on and fucking plays. I just, I feel like he's actually trolling us. There's no other explanation for this. Yeah, I don't even know why you take off Naikari in that situation. Like, she's a player who's holding up. She's a direct threat at times. She she can get her head on the ball. 
she can, you know, take it to the corner. Thought she and Muller could have linked up well. But no, the answer is Cordera. Yeah, but we had Paula Partido on the bench as well. I know she's, I, I mean, she was, she's, she's a wide player, right? Like, that doesn't still stop Osmar from putting him at nine. Still, <laughs> like a better, there. still a better sub, right? Like, we have an attacker, like an actual, but no, it's Marta. I just, I don't even know, man. It's the fact that she got the header as well that Osmar's like going to be like, see, we're going to get, right we're going to get a red card to me. So, one day and she's <laughs> gonna go into goal so that she can complete the season of playing all 11 positions hear me now this is what this is Osnar's goal well let's see she's played left back she's played right back she's played left winger she's played right winger now she's played striker she literally has she played in midfield not, too she has i'm forgetting yeah, she yeah. Has. well maybe not this season but last season she yeah, slid yeah. into midfield at times yeah Holy shit. So literally the only position she hasn't played is center back and goalkeeper. Oh my God. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, we figured it out. Holy God. Jesus. It's, he's trolling us. And um, it didn't matter at the end of the day. You know what? Whatever. We closed out the win. It's just why. And um, that's just, that's always our perpetual state with David Osnar. So it is what it is. So, anything else we want to go over with this match? I think we've, we've covered the key points. Just anything we might have missed. I mean, it's a huge win. Three points to start the Champions League. I mean, it's it's really big. I think if we get, what, probably a win and a draw, four points, then we would most likely qualify for the next round. I could be doing math wrong. I'm assuming that PSG will just be everyone they play, except potentially us. Apparently, PSG didn't necessarily play that well. I saw the shot. I, I think P, I think PSG is not like they're not what they were last year. No, they're I mean they're not lost. what they've been in the past. They lost a lot of players. Yeah, um, and I'm not we're... saying that we can go toe to toe, but I think you know we get the right people back. We could potentially equal result if we can build on. We remember how to pass the ball, like you know. Yeah, if we like play that. like we did today, we're gonna, like Diani or Katoto are going to score like twenty-seven <laughs> goals on us. But if we play like we know how we can play, I think that I, we could stand a chance against PSG. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. So, um, good win, right? A bar Sunday. Got to be a win at home. Got to be a win, and unfortunately, six a.m. wake up time, but that's the usual stuff for Maradrola. Wednesday, October thirteenth. Champions League action just keeps coming now. 3 p.m. Eastern, which is all Eastern Standard Time, of course. Real Madrid take on Breda Blake. So, yeah, I mean, the action who, just who, keeps coming. Who gave it to PSG, gave them their best run. It's going to be a tough game. But yeah. if we win that game, that's a huge step in the right direction. Right. We're in a really good position, and I, we definitely have to go in with the mentality to win that one. So that's what we're looking ahead to. Uh, a quick note is, like, I think... So David Osnar did a pre-mass press conference. I think he did post-match as well. I, like those are his first ever press conferences. That's not round. I mean, Real Madrid TV doesn't count. Like those are his first ever press conference. I mean, I've literally like he's never done one before in Premier Badola. He's never done one in the Copa. It's not like a league policy or anything because Natalia Arroyo does them all the time, as do most other coaches. It's Real Madrid saying Classic. and Osnar being right. We're not going to do it, and. Um, Yet he, we actually had like real quotes from him sitting in a press room pre-match that I posted because 
he, I think this is the first press conference ever. So historic moment. Apparently in the Champions League, Real Madrid do the press conferences. So it's probably required by, by the, probably, the probably. competition. We should email and see if we can get in. On well, that's what I'm already talking to Lucas and Keon about it. And uh, we're going to apply. We were too late for this one. I mean, I didn't obvious. I mean, I didn't realize, right. I'm just, I'm just assuming. Oh, right. Still right. Working. I wouldn't have realized. Yeah. So we're going to apply before the next champions league game, because we were too late when I, when I figured it out. Only issue is, well, one, they could just deny us from asking questions, but the, the bigger issue is now that they're doing full capacity in press conferences again, I don't know if they'll still do the Zoom, which is what Lucas told me. So we'll just see. We'll see how it develops. I, would I don't love... know how it is there, but I know a lot of places here are still Yeah, but America's just hybrid. way better about true, press true. access. Like Europe is, European sport is horrendous about this, especially Real Madrid. And I wouldn't be surprised if they take away the Zoom thing, but we'll see how it goes. It, it would be pretty cool to be able to actually ask Osnar Wise like a meaningful question about the things he does in a respectful manner and see what he says. I mean, that's why we're here. That's well, why and it'd be great to be able to talk to the players as well. I don't know if they yeah, have no, um, Bobby, media Yeah, no, Bobby Pater did. Um, she did a... I saw the pre-match. I didn't know if there was post-match other than Real Madrid. I don't know. Real Madrid Twitter will probably post some stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, ask the players something. I mean, we have the press pass. Like, that's, that's the advantage of being part of SB Nation. It's just, well, that's where we support Real Madrid, and they don't like actors. So... I really hope, I guess, guys send us good vibes or something that we're, we're able to access this because then if we do, I will attend every single Champions League press conference. I mean, I would, Grant yeah, I can probably attend well. with me as well. That would, it would be cool. And we'll see, even if we can't ask anything, just our presence being there sends a signal to Real Madrid because we were not able to ask Zidane anything because um, essentially French media took our place and there's four other permanent outlets that ask him nonsense questions. When Zidane left, Real Madrid swapped out French media with us and we're able to ask Ancelotti questions. So maybe somewhere down the line in the future, just by being there, we'll be able to ask them questions. But we, we have, there's a whole lot of, of work that has to be done to even get there. But that, that is the plan. That is the plan. We're not just lying down here. One thing to end on, a, a bit more of a sour note, but it has to be talked about. If you guys remember, I wrote in partnership with Grant, in partnership with Raquel, and in partnership with Juan from Mente and Blanco about Zara Mujica and how she was one of many players who were really badly mistreated when, um, you know, CD the Con was, you know, like transitioning and, and being rounded. Femino was, it was bought by Real Madrid Femino. And obviously there were, there were stories before that, but Obviously, the relevant time period for us covering as a man, as managing Madrid was like in that first season where oh we were called CD to come, but we were bought by Real Madrid. We really were Real Madrid in all but name. You know the abuse continued. Sada Mujica was the only player who went on record with us. We have quotes from other players. Um, I, I reposted that story on my timeline, and the reason I did is because one of the people who was involved in you know just like kind of like workplace abuse. And mistreating the players in Zara Mujica's case, basically like her getting injured and like refusing to pay insurance money, making promises that were broken, essentially like, you know, ruining her dream to play football for Real Madrid. One of the people involved is Manuel Medinero, also called Lolo Medinero. I guess that's his nickname. 
and um, he's been fired from the club. Apparently, he does a thing where he has burner accounts on Twitter where he goes and insults players, which is a lot of what I'm seeing. Like, um, because guess what? The zone decided on comms, Spanish comms, they would have one woman commentator who seems fine, and then they would have Lolo Medinero, a guy who, you know, and, and all the quotes are like, one, there's, there's the workplace abuse thing, the story that you and I covered along with Raquel and Juan, and then also this, the weird stuff he's been doing on social media. Look, there's never a good time for this to be justified, right? But especially in a moment, where a thousand million stories are, are breaking everywhere across women's football about abuse of various kinds to then be like, oh man, this guy is going to you know, talk about the team where he was involved in and fired because he, he did extremely fishy things allegedly. And I mean, this case has been taken to FIFA that Zaha, that Zaha, uh, Zara Muika and her, her, her family have taken. Like it's an official case against him. And the club didn't just get rid of him for no reason. And I think the reporting we did on is very clear. It's well substantiated. There's a clear story. I mean, Madridistas know this guy's rep, and there was not a good reaction to him being on, on, on the zone comms, Spanish comms. And um, he needs to be out of there, right? Like 100%. Yeah, so that's just what I wanted to end with. I mean, also, if they need help finding people, I'm telling you, Paula and Raquel from Real Madrid TV, when they did the Champions League, their little floating desk, those are the people right there, right? Well, I Real mean, Madrid TV would have to release them. Real Madrid's kind of weird about yeah, all that. Yeah, well, we'll- they, they were exceptional. I mean, I pro- you probably don't get two people that are biased toward one club, but I mean... I mean, but there's the El Patio people. I mean, there's, there's so many good people that you there, Yeah, have, there, right? the thing is, there's so many knowledgeable, smart people who have had the experience of doing this before who deserved the experience of doing it now, whatever it may be. There's no, no, no point in having someone who has this kind of record that is public. Like we aren't the only people who have published this kind of thing. Like you should, you should know this. You should have the background check. And, you know, we just continue to see this around the world with all the news that continues to come out. There's a lot of systemic abuse in women's football at the moment, in sport in general. And we just need to get the abusers out. As simple as that. He's got to go. And it's a shame because DAZN's been doing a really good job so far, like, you know, promoting it well. These nice little halftime, you know, segment shows, like showing grassroots football. But you had to pick the one fucking guy who has credible allegations against him, was fired by the club, and he's doing weird stuff. It's like, come on, like, do the Google search. I checked on my laptop. I checked on my brother's laptop just because obviously mine will have different search results. Like you type in his name, like the sixth or seventh result is the managing Madrid story we did. And all you have to do is type in his name. How you didn't Google his name before hiring this guy, I don't understand. And if you did, that just makes it worse. He, he's got to be gone. Okay. You have this one comp, like this. I, I mean, I guess I'm telling you this guy's because one, it's important to be informed, but like fucking at the zone social media right they're being involved clearly they're gonna see it real madrid fans have been doing that already this guy he can't be here he can't be talking about our team like this nah you're out man. you can't be talking about any team here. yeah you can't he doesn't be, have a you, space in women's football. you don't have space in women's football for the for the stuff that that you you allegedly did so that's how he wanted to end it 
not the brightest note, especially after we managed to win, but it's too important to gloss over just, you know, for vibes or anything like that. So, you know, if you guys have the time, um, I mean, you can, you'll be able to see the tweet if you go on my Twitter. You do not have to scroll that far well, I down. retweeted it. I think Les Blanc just retweeted it. Imagine it's retweet on Managing Madrid. Like, I don't want to see this guy on comms anywhere again. So that's how we'll end it, Grant. Thanks for doing this with me as always. Great to win. Hopefully this is the trend that continues. And uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid.